Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. And now, Financial Renaissance with the M's. blocking those things from happening uh, so that you can protect not only your home, your kids, but also your business as well. Uh, I have some information from uh, some cybersecurity experts, and they're going to tell you how to kind of tie everything up. When we come back on Financial Renaissance with the M's, sponsored by AARP, I have MNO's money. I'll be telling you about some free stuff you can do in the country. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about open book management and co-worker ownership in 300 seconds. And we are back with Financial Renaissance with the M's. That's right. We are streaming live on the Internet. If you're on your way to church, on your way to work out, on your way to brunch, you can listen to us live at SSNATL.com. And if you want to watch the show live, if you're watching from my you know, Twitter or Periscope or whatever, um, if you go to Facebook and you, um, you click on Sensation Station Network, just do a search for Sensation Station Network, Hit the like and you'll see the show uh, right there. You can also join in on the conversation. If you don't want your boss uh, to hear about any of the stuff or what your opinions are, you can uh, text us at 678-613-5857. And then on Twitter, you can follow me at um, Emma Knows Money. On Instagram and Facebook, also at Emma Knows Money. And then on YouTube, please, I need 100 subscribers, okay? Search for Emma Knows Money on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button for previous episodes. Cash moves everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar bill, yo. Yeah, dollar, dollar bill. That's what we're talking about today. How do we make money and how does our country make money? Okay? So, in our country, we have a capitalism system, a capitalist society. And last week, I talked about communism and how the communists don't really like uh, capitalists. So, we're going to talk a little bit about how capitalism has failed us and what some of the other options are. Now, there is a theory, um, something that was coined back, I think it was in the late 80s, called open book management, okay? And open book management was coined by a, a guy by the name of John Case. And John Case, for him, he saw that there was a growing concern, and it's happening today as well, growing concern and public angst about the wealth gap. Uh, between people at the top parts of corporation who make 300 times more than the people on the bottom part. And this, this gap has widened ex exponentially since the 2008 uh, Great Recession. So the basis of open book management is that the information received um, by the employees so the, the, the company should spread information, should open up their, their numbers. So each employee should know the direction of the company. Each employee should know whether or not the company is profitable, what they're planning on investing in. And each employee ha should have a stake in the ownership of the company as well. When people own stuff, they treat stuff a lot better. And if you, um, if you own a home and you have, let's say, a rental house, you know the feeling because you'll see renters do stuff in your house that would never happen while you were there. So it's the same thing conceptually when we're looking at a corporation. So open book management is giving ownership of the company, not all of it. Uh, in some cases, it's all, but in a lot of cases, it's a piece of it to the employees. And when you give the portion of the ownership to employees, the employees also, um, they 
benefit when there's profit. So they get a part, a portion of the profit sharing. It's just not all on the top because everybody in the company is responsible for moving that company forward. So according to John Case, and again, John Case, in my opinion, is the godfather of open book management. He says, hey, a company performs best when its people see themselves as partners in the business rather than hired hands. So the path, again, is to give employees all relevant financial information about the company. Um, it's also um, to give information not limited to, but things about revenue, profit, cost, uh, cost of goods, cash flows, expenses, expenses, things of that nature. And then, you know, as in a lot with a lot of theories like tax law, um, things like that, you have to see it in motion before you know that it works. So I'm one of those that doesn't like to talk about um, new theories and things like that unless I see examples, actual factual examples of things happening. So there's a guy by the name of John Case. And he put this theory into action. Um, he worked for a company. Him and his, the other employees figured out a way to buy the company from the current owners so that they wouldn't lose their jobs. Their, the owner of their company was thinking of selling to someone else. That person was going to gut everybody, of course, starting with management first. And so what they did is they started talking about this possibly two years before it actually happened. And they figured out how to get financing. Uh, they start, They made a lot of mistakes, but the name of the book is A Stake in the Outcome, and then there's another book by the name of The Great, uh, the Great Game of Business. And again, you're going to want to check these books out, learn a little bit about it, and then figure out which one of your coworkers is someone that you may want to own a business with. Hey, when we come back on Financial Renaissance with the M's, I am talking about cybersecurity and what you can do to protect your business, your home, and your children. When we come back on Financial Renaissance. Lots of people meet friends and potential love interests online through dating sites, social media, or mobile apps. It can be a great way to meet people, but not everyone is who they say they are online. In fact, scams related to online relationships are on the rise. It's a red flag if the person wants to move quickly to personal email or instant messaging to continue talking. Professors love quickly. Claims to be from the United States, but is working or traveling abroad. Plans to visit, but cancels at the last minute. Ask for money to deal with an emergency or ask you to open a bank account for them. Here are some things you can do. Cut off contact if you suspect a scam. Watch your wallet. Don't wire money, send cash, or put money on gift cards for someone you know only online. Learn more about online relationship scams at aarp.org backslash fraudwatchnetwork. Emma Knows Money is brought to you by AARP's Fraudwatch Network. Go to aarp.org or ssnatl.com and click the Fraudwatch Network banner for more info. Here's the 431st affiliate of Sherlock Will Radio. Sensation Station yeah. Network, an internet radio station in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm going to say it again. Sensation Station Network, an internet radio station based in Atlanta, Georgia. Go ahead, Prime. We are very happy to be part of the Sensation Station Network. Oh, my goodness, and we are proud to have you, Cheryl Underwood, uh, joining us on Sensation Station Network. That's right. You heard me. If you are my age, you may remember some, you know, some comedy shows, et cetera, et cetera. But Cheryl Underwood, uh, she will be live on Sensation Station Network Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays from 12 noon to 2 p.m. And if you're on the East Coast, 
right after she goes off the air um, on Sensation Station Network, you can tune into your local CBS affiliate and you can watch the talk. She'll be on the talk uh, on the East Coast at 2 p.m. On the other coast, I have no idea. Check with your local uh, CBS affiliate. All right. So before the break, I was uh, telling you a little bit about this concept called open book management. And again, it's not just, you don't look for a company to, to do this. You don't go into a company going, hey, you know, are you guys all kind of co-worker owners? No, this is something that can actually take place at the company that you're at. So sometimes with um, privately held, family held companies, you know that the people that you're that are you know managers, VPs, blah, 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 they not, may not be the brightest. And we all know from the varsity varsity blues scandal that some people got into a lot of these top schools not because they had something upstairs it was because their parents had something had fat wallets that's just the nature of the beast so sometimes you'll watch these people drive a good company into the ground so what do you do so if you've got a couple of co-workers that you know are outstanding and and some of them it's not all about having degrees sometimes it's you know you're good at marketing you may be good at this but i mean you really put in the work and do your job and you and they take pride in it if that's the case you want to look at this so here's what john stack did john stack he put this case into action the theory into action um him and his co-workers they bought out the company that had, was employing them, okay? So Stack uses three basic principle rules um, in his book. Um, what they did was, number one, they know and taught the rules. Every employee has to be given the measures of business success and must be taught to, employ, um, uh, must be taught to understand them, okay? Then follow the action, keep the score. Every employee should be expected and enabled to use their knowledge to improve performance. So... Here's what I have to say. A lot of times when we talk about business, there may be someone who didn't get their college education and they'll go, I'm just not good at business or that's just not right for me. Here's what I have to say to you. Bullpucky, okay? Hogwash, whatever other explicitive you can come up with. If you can understand football stats, baseball stats, etc., learn the words to the latest songs, you too can understand the numbers in a business. Plain and simple. Now, if you are come from the uh, streets, if you will, and you can understand that game, that corner game, you too can also understand business because it is the same exact concept, okay? Then the third thing that John Stack says and what they made all of their co-working employees do was they had to provide a stake in the outcome. Every employee should have a direct stake in the company's success and in the risk of failure. Okay, if an employee and if the coworkers all have some skin in the game, that you're going to rock a little bit differently. You're not just going to do the do just what's asked of you and not a not a thing more. Like that drives me crazy. You know, if I call a government employee or if I call a government office and they tell me exactly what I need to know or exactly the question that I ask, but knowing that I know absolutely nothing about said whatever it is, there's other information that they could give. So. If, if when you're looking for people that you may want to do this with, you got to think about the people that take pride in the work that they do. Now, employees are going to share in, in the company's prosperity. And what that means is that a growing number kind of, uh, here's, here's an example, Chobani, the yogurt maker. A couple of years ago, they made an announcement that they had uh, 2,000 full-time employees. And they said, hey, you know what? We're going to give our 2,000 employees 10% stake in our company. 
So what that means is that if Chobani's uh, had a profit of, say, a million dollars, well, the employees got 10% of that million dollars in a profit. Okay, so that's one of the things that we're trying trying to look at. Another two ways for employees or for uh, owners of businesses to give stake in their company uh, to their employees is something called employee stock option plans, ESOPs or ESOP, and also worker cooperatives. And with those two methods, employers or owners of a business can sometimes hand over as much as 100% of the company to the employees. Now, the thing I'll say about this and why this is important is sometimes as a business owner, you may not have a successor. You may, you know, your kids may not want to get into your business. So the next best thing are the people who are already doing a great job at your company. For some of you, you may even have to convince a business owner that it's time for them to walk away and to turn the business over to you and a team. But I'm telling you, you've got to be tight, 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 okay? Um, now let's see. I need you to do an action item right now. I need you to go on my YouTube page. And on my YouTube page, I need you to search for Emma Knows Money, and then I need you to hit the subscribe button, okay? My previous episodes are there, but I need 100 subscribers this week, or YouTube is kicking me off. That's not true, but if I put something like that out there, maybe you guys will take action. end of the world for publicly traded companies. They are now on the endangered species list. Gonna say it was self-inflicted, okay? Um, I'm one of those, my family can tell you, my friends can tell you, I don't feel sorry for people who dig themselves into a hole. And corporate America has dug itself into a hole over the last 40 years. Now, I'm gonna use Facebook as an example, um, not because, well, I always pick on Facebook, but they're one of the most successful young companies of modern times. And there aren't enough companies going IPO to keep up with or to make up for a lot of the older companies like your GEs, your GMs, the Fords, like those companies that are over 100 years old. We're going to have a huge gap of publicly traded companies in our near future. Why are publicly traded companies important? Because that's how we make money for retirement. Okay, it's all interconnected. So it's very important for us, uh, the consumers, um, to make sure that we we have good companies to invest in. If there are good companies out there for us to invest in and they're going to grow, then that's how we get money for retirement. Okay, so not picking on um, again, not picking on Facebook, but Facebook is a good example of um, an owner of a company who really is no longer attracted to going public. Okay. Mark Zuckerberg only went public because American law requires that any firm that has more than a certain number of shareholders has to publish quarterly accounts just as if they were listed. So they have to open their books and show it to the United States government just like if they were a publicly traded company. Now, like Google before it, Facebook has structured itself more like a private firm than a public one. But even though they're public, Mark Zuckerberg, and the reason why Facebook has a lot of problems is because Mark Zuckerberg owns the majority of the shares, so he still gets to control what the company does or doesn't do um, for now or, you know, as long as he's still the, the CEO and has more voting rights than everybody else. So right now, one of the, there's alternative companies or corporate forms that are, that are happening. People don't want to go public like they used to. Back in the day, it was every, um, every CEO's dream 
to go public because that's where CEOs, if you're a business owner and you're putting, you know, you're making sacrifices, you're sacrificing your time, you're sacrificing your money, you're sacrificing your family, you're sacrificing friendships. Um, I mean, you name it. There's a lot that goes into being a business owner. So going public means you finally get them all that money back and then some, right? But a lot of corporations or a lot of CEOs, a lot of people don't want to go public anymore. Um, they feel that it's too restrictive. And what I'm wondering is whether or not we're going to be able to make p capitalism and corporations popular again. Um, now, corporations for the last 150 years, that's how we made money in this country. Um, publicly traded companies were the nucleus for innovation, job creations. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, as a business owner, you want to make sure that you're going to get the return on that stuff. Now, IPOs is when you have a young company and they're really ready to, you know, go public. They're going to their, stick their toes out, let everybody look inside their books, things like that. But there are some alternatives now. Um, people are not going IPO. They're not going on. Um, they're not becoming listed on the stock market, what they're doing is they're being bought out by, say, private equity firms. Um, there's different things that are happening, and as a result of that happening, the only people that really get to invest into private equity firms are usually people that have a lot of money. In your mutual funds, in a lot of cases, you're not buying into private equity firms, so that's something that you have to think about. Um, now, with the politicians in Washington, this is part of the reason why people don't want to go public is because of a lot of regulations. So um, many firms right now, they don't want to go through the red tape in Washington. Um, they don't want to pay a lot of the fees, um, just like with anything. Anytime you put the government um, into it, there's going to be bureaucracy, there's going to be red tape, and there's going to be a bunch of stuff that doesn't make any sense and that is going to be counterintuitive and counterproductive. So for a lot of younger people, they don't want to go into a system that is happening in a certain way just because that's the way things have been happening for the last hundred years. Now, remember, we're publicly traded companies. Publicly traded companies are responsible for railroads in the 19th century. Um, publicly traded companies help fill the world with cars, television, computers. Um, so again, it's not a bad thing. It's just we need, we're at a, a point in time in our I guess in our history, where things have to be done a little bit differently. We are, a lot of corporations are stifling the innovation of their employees. Um, and because when you don't pay people enough and give people the dignity that they need, they're not going to do the things they need to do at work or bring their best self to work. So we, as owners of businesses, need to think long and hard about what we're paying people. We need to think long and hard about, you know, if you've got a great employee, maybe after talking to your lawyer, okay, after talking, don't do anything that I'm saying. Again, make sure you're talking to your lawyers, your CPAs, everybody else. But is there a way, if you have a great employee, that you know you would, you would, you know, some of us have the ones that, you know, you can't, you can't live without them. If they leave, you know, your company's gone. Does it make sense to offer that person a piece of your business? You know, that's something that you have to ask of yourself. If you work for a small company, can you come up with a proposal and ask, you know, hey, is there a way for me to buy into the business? You know, I think I may want to take it over one day. Ask your boss, what's your succession plan? You know, there's things that we need to start looking at and looking into. Capitalism as it, at its core is a great thing. Democracy at its core is a great thing. But in our country, we have gotten very greedy, and not us, of course, not my listeners, but corporate America has gotten very, very greedy. And when, again, you, you, you're putting us or the corporations are putting us into this situation where um, 
there's going to end up being a lot of extremism because people are not making the amount of money they need to make. And when that happens, we can look back at World War I, World War II, and when people aren't making money, they get radicalized, and that's not what we need to happen in this country. All right, when we come back on Financial Renaissance with the M's, we are talking about cybersecurity and who I'm wagging my finger at this week when we come back in 300 seconds. Emma Knows Money is brought to you by AARP's Fraud Watch Network. Go to AARP.org or SSNATL.com and click the Fraud Watch Network banner for more info. And we are back with Financial Renaissance with the M's. Coming up on the show, my Emma Knows Money, I'm talking about some things that you can get for free that our government offers us. 21 things that they offer us that we can get for free. And then I'm also going to have my top five news stories. But again, this is Sunday and I'm preaching. I need you to go to my YouTube page, search for Emma Knows Money, and I need you to hit that subscribe button. Uh, hit the subscribe button and you can also watch previous episodes. This town needs an enema. Listen, I need you guys to do some quick math for me, or you people, use people to do some math for me. Pull out, pull out, pull up your calculator apps. I need you to do some math. Okay, so according to some data from Cybersecurity Ventures, all right, it seems that cybersecurity spending in our country uh, for the five years leading up to 2021 is expected to exceed one trillion with a T, not billion, trillion with a T. The annual global losses from cyber attacks is expected to hit six trillion by that same year. So let's get this straight. Okay, so we're going to spend one trillion to try to prevent cyber fraud and cyber theft and all of that other stuff, but then six trillion is what we're going to lose. So there seems to be eh, some miscommunication there. That is a five trillion, 12 zeros and a comma. Uh, $5 trillion gap or hole. So that means that there is something fundamentally wrong with the standard model of cybersecurity. That's right. So if you know a business owner, you have kids, you have a computer, whatever, you need to listen up. Cybersecurity right now, the industry as a whole, it, it, it's kind of this hot commodity. If you tell somebody, if you talk to people about cybersecurity or they have a cybersecurity com uh, company, you're like, oh, man, that's so cool, you know, blah, 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 blah. However... These companies don't traditionally operate in the security space um, where they're investing in um, trying to uh, monitor what's actually happening within the company versus trying to keep people out. So there are some companies, you know the names, uh, Intel acquired McAfee, BlackBerry bought Sealands, Broadcom purchased CA and Symantec, et cetera, et cetera. And people keep trying to throw money at the problem, but it's not really helping. So some of the expense, most expensive data breaches in history has happened at large corporations. So when we come back for them from the break, I'm going to tell you something that the experts are saying is a foolproof way to keep people out of your firewall when we come back on Financial Renaissance with the end. And we're back on Financial Renaissance with the M's, and we are talking about the broken cybersecurity model. Listen, if you look at history or you look at headlines, 
people that want to get into these major corporations, they can get in. Um, they are not, they're, <laughs> they're not playing games, okay? So we need to look at this at, at a new model of cybersecurity that's going to revolve around technologies like multi-factor authentication or behavioral analytics, uh, deception technology, like, you know, there are certain technologies that will look at, you know, say me. When I log into my computer at work, you know, I usually I check my email, I may, you know, uh, upload a couple of documents, et cetera, et cetera. But a good cybersecurity system is going to see that if I log in and all of a sudden I'm downloading like tons of sensitive information onto another computer or say I'm logging in from uh, another country, but I'm supposed to be at home. So we need some type of um, some type of systems that are using more behavioral analysis, deception technology, um, and we also need to stop thinking about things from you know us versus them and trying to keep people from coming inside. With a lot of us, what we do is we leave our our stuff wide open. Okay, a lot of times because people are on the internet, because people are um, on LinkedIn and other things. Um, they may end up inadvertently clicking on something. It is very important as business owners in order to keep ourselves safe um, from the, the, the bad people, you have to teach your employees and everybody, lottie-dottie everybody, I don't care if the person is 85 years old, they need to understand the dangers of just clicking on random emails. They need to look at emails and make sure that it's the right, you know, we've gone through this time and time again. But we have to protect uh, the workplace and all of our clients' information. So when you're at work you're with your employees, and I'm pretty strict about this, is that your work PC, your work laptop should be for work only. All that social media stuff should be done on your own personal phone or on another machine, not the same machine that you use for sensitive, com um, sensitive company information. You have to be very, very careful about the different devices that you're using. Um, there's a guy by the name of Tom Bradley. Uh, he's a senior manager uh, of content marketing um, of a, a website called Techspective. And he goes into this whole piece about, you know, um, protecting your companies, um, making sure that security is less about preventing unauthorized access and more about ensuring that the activities of the person that's logged in kind of mirrors what they're doing. And I, I think they call that AI, right? AI kind of pays attention to what you do. Um, I think it's somewhat of an AI thing that's going to help us kind of get into this whole cyber protection uh, mode that we need to get into. Um, it's going to be cool because, one, uh, a lot of the attacks that we have, again, come from usually within. So if we are using this type of uh, behavioral um, analysis, uh, deception technology, it's going to be able to tell when your employees are doing things that they shouldn't be doing, number one. You know, if we think about, like, the Edward Snowdens and the Chelsea Manning uh, situations, if you put something into a computer and you're downloading it off of it, there should be a system in place that stops that because it may not be you, it could be the cleaning person or some people bring their uh, laptops to hotel rooms and you never know what's happening 
you know, when you're not in the room with your with your computer. That's, you know, that's just the way things are. So, again, if you are a uh, small business owner, even if you're not, you need to talk to your IT department about uh, deception technology and also behavioral analysis as a way of keeping the nefarious characters out. When we come back on Financial Renaissance with the M's, we have my market movers and losers and other cybersecurity things you need to be thinking about. Lots of people meet friends or potential love interests online through dating sites, social media, or mobile apps. It can be a great way to meet people, but not everyone is who they say they are online. In fact, scams related to online relationships are on the rise. It's a red flag if the person wants to move quickly to personal email or instant messaging to continue talking. Professors love quickly, claims to be from the United States, but is working or traveling abroad, plans to visit but cancels at the last minute, Ask for money to deal with an emergency or ask you to open a bank account for them. Here are some things you can do. Cut off contact if you suspect a scam. Watch your wallet. Don't wire money, send cash, or put money on gift cards for someone you know only online. Learn more about online relationship scams at aarp.org backslash fraudwatchnetwork. SSNATL.com all right, and we are back with Financial Renaissance with the M's. You are listening to us on SSNATL.com. And if you are watching live on my live Facebook, Twitter account, go ahead and go to Facebook, go to Sensation Station Network, and then you can watch us live in the studio. So I have a question for everyone. And you can go ahead, and if you are on, on Sensation Station Network, you can go ahead and, um, and put your comments in. Or if you're on my live Facebook page, uh, you could do that too. Among women in their 50s, which group is at a greater risk of lower of a lower standard of living by retirement? Um, is it going to be single women or is it going to be married women? Okay, uh, let me know. Either A or B. A single women, B married women. Let me know. Come on, go ahead and drop that in the uh, in the thing too. All right. So I've been talking about capitalism and whether or not capitalism is now going to become extinct. So some of the arguments around capitalism have to do with the gig economy. And the gig economy is when you can do a job from an app on your phone, or you are part of that economy, um, or you're one of the workers that kind of connects the dots because somebody went to an app on their phone and they ordered something from Amazon or Instacart or you know fill in the blanks. So people want to know, you know, hey, they think the gig economy is the new way of saving capitalism however um there's some 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 differences number one gig em gig employees are number one not employees they're contractors and there's some giants of the gig economy um there's lyft there's uber uh grubhub instacart things like that and they they claim to be technology companies they also claim to be uh unicorns if you will but the executive director of the New York City uh, Taxi Workers Alliance, and they represent uh, about 21,000 professional drivers um, who drive for everything from yellow cabs to Uber to Lyft vehicles, et cetera. And the biggest uh, um, issue with the gig economy um, it's not about the technology, but it's about the business model in and of itself. And this is why people are saying, hey, the gig economy is not going to save capitalism. Number one, the business model involves low pay for the drivers and other workers um, in an effort to keep the rides cheaper for customers. Remember Google, I mean, um, Lyft and, and um, 
uh, Uber started. One, you know, it's the whole reason why people didn't want to take cabs, uh, but it was more convenient and there was more accuracy with the app. So some of that stuff happened, what happened between Uber and Lyft and the, the, the professional taxi cabs had to do with embracing technology faster. The other thing is that with the gig economy, price is the biggest mechanism for rideshare companies to compete with each other. So as a result, they're all racing to the bottom and the drivers end up getting shafted as a result. So unlike salaried employees, the drivers are responsible for their own gas, for their own maintenance, for any, you know, if they pop a tire, you know, all of that stuff, they are responsible for it and all without having any benefits, um, et cetera. So again, looking at whether or not the gig economy is the, the wave of the future, the gig economy is even going to have to change a little bit because a lot of these companies also don't pay taxes. So you're not pay paying these people top dollar and they're really responsible for your corporation. So the state of California is looking into this a little bit. But here's something that really, you know, as I was doing research for this story, kind of choked me up a little bit. Um, again, this, this organization, the New York Taxi Workers Alliance, represents 21,000 professional drivers in New York City. And they're saying now that the levels of poverty among drivers today are amongst the most extreme, okay, in part because, you know, the drivers are on the front line of this economic shift, and there is a shift happening which is why when people talk to you about jobs of the future, you know, if you're driving for Uber or Lyft, or even if you're a taxi cab driver, you have to think about what the world is going to look like five years from now. There really may not be a need for you. I've, I read that in Tokyo during the, um, what is that thing called? The Olympics, they're going to have driverless little like vehicles, you know, shuttling people back and forth to the different venues uh, in the Olympic Village. So if, there, if we're now looking at autonomous cars and things like that, it's not so much to look at Uber and Lyft and blame them. You just have to look at what's happening in, in society. Again, think back to you know, the early 1900s at baseball games. There was somebody behind the scoreboard lifting up you know, the different numbers. We don't need that anymore. So times have changed. And with technology, things are going to be changing. So the, uh, the New York City or the New York Taxi Workers Alliance back in 1998, they were doing some really, really good things, right? They built this solidarity amongst the drivers, and they had one the, the biggest living wage increase, okay, in around 2012 or so. So the drivers were going to see anywhere from a $10,000 to $20,000 increase in their income along with health care and other benefits, okay? They $20,000 is a lifestyle change. You know, you can move into a better neighborhood, you can drive a better car, et cetera. And then, out of nowhere, Uber and Lyft and Wall Street Wealth changed everything, okay? Wall Street threw a lot of money behind Uber and Lyft. And so none of this stuff panned out for the taxicab drivers. Uh, they didn't get the wage increases, and they didn't get any of the benefits. So now we're in a poverty crisis. Right now in New York, there's about 100,000 professional drivers. And we're talking about them having massive bankruptcies, foreclosures, evictions. Uh, there's also a study saying that a lot of people who depend on Uber and Lyft, uh, some of them end up in homeless shelters for about six months at a time. I mean, 
this is not this is not cool. Then we're also looking at things like food scarcity and people uh, sleeping in their cars at airports overnight so that they can pick people up first thing in the morning, things like that. And then now, um, since 2018, now they're starting to see a ton of uh, high levels of suicides um, and high levels of also depression amongst um, New York City, um, New York drivers, and also ride-sharing um, people as well. So now a lot of these organizations, the uh, New York Taxi Workers Alliance is doing things like, um, you know, uh, talking to the drivers about suicide prevention, things of that nature. But the one thing that I'm hoping that they do, and, I'm, and I didn't see any of this in any of the verbiage, it's beyond paying the drivers more, in my opinion. Um, this past May, the um, engineers of, at Uber, you know, the digital engineers, they also went on strike uh, to support the Uber drivers back, I think it was on May 9th. And I think we're going to have to have a situation where if, if people are the crux and the reason, where the rubber meets the road in your company, you have to do more for them than just give them a contracting check. So that's just my opinion. Uh, let me know what your thoughts are. Go on and uh, drop your comments, um, and we'll talk about it when we come back on Financial Renaissance with the M's. Here's the 431st affiliate of Sherlock Road Radio, Sensation Station yeah. Network, an internet radio station in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm going to say it again. Sensation Station Network, an internet radio station based in Atlanta, Georgia. Go ahead, Prime. We are very happy to be part of the Sensation Station Network. I am super excited. Okay, super excited that we have Cheryl Underwood on Sensation Station Network. That's right, I've been watching this lady for about 20 some odd years, okay, and um, just love the progression. I love to see people just kind of, uh, the moves that they make, and she's going to be on Sensation Station Network every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 12 o'clock noon, so at lunchtime, you can listen to her from 12 o'clock noon to 2, and then immediately after, if you're on the East Coast, you can tune into your local CBS and you can watch her on the talk at 2 p.m. On the West Coast, you just have to look up, uh, and also the Midwest and all these other people in the in-between states, uh, figure out what time uh, the talk is coming on on your local uh, CBS affiliate. All right, the FDA has, you know, we're talking about cybersecurity. Right. We're talking about all the ways that these nefarious characters can get into your systems beyond your firewalls. They can breach, uh, you know, even if you're in a hotel using hotel Wi-Fi, they got people that just kind of sit in hotel lobbies, put these little pineapple thingies up and they can see what you're, you know, they have you logging into them instead of logging into the hotel, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the FDA has issued a warning and they, what does the FDA have to do with cyber stuff? Well, Looks like electronic medical devices can get hacked. All right. So the Food and Drug Administration has issued a dire warning to all with a capital A, capital L, capital L patients, providers, and manufacturers. The United States government is saying that you have cybersecurity vulnerabilities in certain medical devices and also in healthcare networks. And I know that vulnerability sounds like a cute, uh, cute little oopsies, we had a little vulnerability, but it's not, so let me understand. So, like, dig if you will this picture. Let's say, you know, you moved into a neighborhood and you're used to leaving your 
doors open, um, you leave your car doors unlocked, you leave your front doors unlocked, you don't worry about shutting your windows. And then different people, different types of people start moving into your neighborhood and with them, they bring some friends start to visit and just stuff starts to change a little bit. And now you leaving your doors open, your windows open, your car door unlocked may not be the right thing to do, okay? Or in my neighborhood, you know, because they got rid of all of the um, <laughs> the mental health stuff, we got a whole bunch of people rolling through our neighborhood. Well, the same thing is happening online, okay? The United States government wants you to know um, that the vulnerabilities, um, so if you have, say, a heart, a pacemaker, uh, something of that, you know, something like that pacemaker, just the different things that you have, um, the, the hackers can actually get into these devices. Any type of wearable that you have that's supposed to track your heart rate, anything like that, if it is um, on Wi-Fi, it can be hacked. So there's certain things that you need to do. Um, the Deputy Director of the uh, Office of Strategic Partnership and Technology Innovation with the FDA, um, she said in a statement that the risk of patient harm if such a vulnerability were left undressed could be significant. So what I'm talking about here is, like, they could kill somebody. They could end up sending people into the hospital. So it is very important that the manufacturers um, are aware of these vulnerabilities. So if you have a wearable device, if your family members have wearable devices, you need to ask them this. Ask them, hey, have you gotten any emails or anything in the mail, any type of warnings from the government or from the corporation that you, you know, got this, you know, this little device saying that, hey, you know, you may be exposed. So unfortunately, and it's with our devices, an attack may not seem like an attack. Um, to the device. It may end up by all the, the security measures and things like that. It may just seem like, you know, something normal that's happening. So what the FDA wants you to do and what they're saying you should do, and should sounds like a suggestion, but I want you to hear me. You have to talk to your doctors. Um, you have to ask them whether or not the device that you're wearing, your loved ones are wearing, could be impacted by cyber security vulnerabilities. And then you have to tell or demand from the medical device manufacturers that they come up with a way to protect you from the hackers getting in, okay? Now, I told you last week that anytime the government starts saying little things to us, we need to start listening. If they keep mentioning certain stuff, they're trying to tell you that something is imminent and it is going to happen. The Department of Homeland Security first warned about this in July. Okay, so why is Homeland Security talking about our medical devices? You need to think about that a little bit. Um, also, the FDA warned about this uh, for us, I think it was back in June, um, because there were uh, cyber vulnerabilities in insulin pumps, okay, that were ended up being recalled. So again, any type of device that is out there, I want you to, um, I want you to think about the things that you're wearing on your person if you've had any type of surgeries where they've implanted a device into you, same thing with your parents, your grandparents, your aunties, everybody. If they have a device that works by a computer or a chip, you need to have a conversation with them. That's right. All right, coming up on Financial Renaissance with the M's, we'll have my top five news stories for the week, also my market movers and losers. And we'll still dig into, uh, I think, Twitter. We're going to be wagging our finger at them when we come back in 300 seconds. Energizing a nation, one listener at a time. It's SSNATL.com.
Radio that's not dumbed down. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. That's right. The average cost for health care coverage in a 2019 family health co- uh, family plan is twenty thousand uh, dollars, with the employer paying about seventy one percent of that cost and the employee paying twenty nine percent of that cost. That is, uh, I, don't e- I don't even know what to say about that. Now, back ten years ago in 2009, the average cost was thirteen thousand dollars. So, all right. So now, looking at a quirk in our law. All right. The economic benefit to an employee of having one's employer pay a portion of health insurance is unique to economic benefit, and it's not considered ordinary income. So when your employer paid a portion of your medical benefits, um, um, you did not pay taxes on that portion that they paid towards your medical benefits. Well. Due to a tax law change, it looks like that's going to be changing. What your employer pays towards your health care benefits may now be considered ordinary and taxable income. Not to one million dollars. All right, one trillion. Our national debt, I never really cared about national debt too much before, but our national debt as of September 30th, was $22.7 trillion, and that's up $1.2 trillion from the last year. And it's up almost $5 trillion from the last five years. So we're, we're way, way off when it comes to our numbers. Now, I'm going to say oops, because our, our congressional oversight budget people, they need to say oops, too. Uh, in January 2009, this was 10 years ago, the Congressional Budget Office released a 10-year forecast for our nation's national debt. So they put their budget together and like they're like, oh, this is how much money we're going to be spending. Well, that debt projection, how much they thought we were going to be in debt by then, they thought that it was only going to be 15, about 15.9. So we're almost at about $16 trillion. That's what they thought our national debt would be. Our actual national debt way exceeded that, and it's at $22.7 trillion. All right, no, so we're way, no, way, no. way off. No. All right. No, you ever no. been overpromised something and underdelivered? Well, um, if you have a pension, uh, you may have been overpromised and underfunded. So it looks like out of all the pension plans for state and local government employees nationwide only 52 percent of them are funded so what does that mean if you are counting on a pension for your retirement you may want to talk to a financial planner and make sure that they understand what you're doing for retirement and what to do when there's certain things that companies do when they're trying to tell you that they're not going to have their pension around or they may be merging. There's some steps that you can take. Make sure you're in talks with a financial planner when it comes to stuff like that because, yeah, we've seen it all, been, been through it all, seen through it all, all of that stuff. All right. Now, I did some digging in a um, what's called an urban dictionary. Wanted to find out, um, I've heard the word op, I've heard the word mark, um, wanted to find out what it is. And a mark is um, identified as a person who is an easy target or a sucker. Why do I bring this up? Because there's a study that says that for cyber criminals, their marks are small business, small and medium business owners. That's right. 
small and medium business owners are marks. And when we come back on Financial Renaissance with the M's, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how to prevent that when we come back in 300 seconds. Emma Knows Money is brought to you by AARP's Fraud Watch Network. Go to aarp.org or sssatl.com and click the Fraud Watch Network banner for more info. All right, we are back with Financial Renaissance with the M's. And before the break, I told you I was very curious and I ended up looking up the word mark, right? Because uh, the hackers and all those people, they look at small business owners and medium-sized business owners as marks. So I want, was trying to look for a way of explaining it. And actually, the word mark is, is, um, is Old English. And um, basically, in the late 1800s to 1900s, um, workers would refer to people who go to see made-up shows uh, as marks, you know, those traveling salespeople, things like that. Uh, so it's not an urban gangster thing like we thought. It actually comes from England. So, But anyway, uh, a survey found that 76% of the 592 companies surveyed had experienced a cyber attack in the previous 12 months. And that's up from 70% a year ago and up 63% from 2017. So what we're seeing is, remember, $6 trillion in losses is what we are going to experience from the internet between now and uh, 2021. So how does this happen? 57% of the companies have said because of phishing and social engineering. So again, that's some of us as employees being out there on, um, you know, doing different things, clicking on the wrong thing. Um, and a lot of these invasions are usually targeting unsuspecting uh, computers, smartphones, tablets with realistic looking emails. So you've got to teach your people how to, you know, kind of hover over before they click on something. Now, 44% of companies, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, have reported that attacks came via a website. So what happens to small companies when, a, um, when there's a cyber attack? Or why does it happen? And it happens because they don't have a large enough information technology staff or department. There are companies that you can um, tap into that will just come in and look at your IT. They'll also monitor your IT for you. And because you're not, you know, you're not hiring them, you're just buying a piece. So that's something that you can look at. A lot of times, a lot of business owners don't have uh, the expensive, sophisticated software designed to monitor and defend from these cyber attacks. So there are lots of companies out there. There's Webroot. There's, you know, different companies that are out there. And I would Google it. And when you Google, you want to look for um, a website called CNET. You also want to look for a website called PC Mag. And I've been reading PC Mag probably, you know, for the last 20-something years. Um, and anytime I'm going to make a decision about any type of software that I'm going to bring into my company, I screen it first there, and then I go on the Internet and I do even more research. Now, 76% or excuse me, 77% of companies say they don't have enough staffers to keep up with their IT stuff, right? Um, and 55% said money is an issue. Now, if you have sensitive information, 
Um, what I will tell you is that you need, like yesterday, to implement a cybersecurity policy. I did this at my company three years ago. Matter of fact, I even got into a fight with someone over it because I take it that serious. You have to audit. If you, if you have sensitive information, you have to audit your vendors annually and make sure they're doing the things that they're supposed to be doing with information, that they have redundancies in place. You know, most companies are concerned about protecting their customers' information. You know, it should be a priority. You also should be concerned about intellectual property. Don't forget uh, Lenovo. Um, when IBM sold to that Chinese company, Lenovo, I refused to allow people in my family and the people that I work with to own Lenovo computers because they put little chips in it. Everyone thought I was being paranoid and then it ended up being the truth. But again, you've got to figure out ways to kind of protect your family, protect your business from being a mark. Now, mark, the origin of this name, going back to it, is the term smark or smart mark, which is a person who knows that he or she is being scammed or, in our cases, hacked. So bottom line is I don't want you to be a mark, all right? So have the conversation with your employees. Have the conversation with your coworkers because even if it's not your company, if you get hacked, it's going to make what you do a heck of a lot harder. Okay. Now, some of the things that you can do to make sure that you don't get, um, you know, get hacked. There's something called a VPN. Um, you may want to look that up, um, not only for your company but also from home. Another thing that you can do to protect yourself. Remember, Google gives out free telephone numbers. So instead of giving your real phone number to social media and all these other places, give them your Google phone number because you can still do two-factor authentication because a text message will come into that number. So those are some of the things that you can look at. And listen, for the VPN, again, I went out on CNET and PC Mag and I searched for some of the most secure VPNs that are out there. If you have a smart TV, you definitely want to be behind a VPN as well. All right, when we come back on Financial Renaissance with the M's, Emma Knows Money, my top five news stories when we come back in 300 seconds. Emma Knows Money is brought to you by AARP's Fraud Watch Network. Go to aarp.org or sssatl.com and click the Fraud Watch Network banner for more info. If you're looking for that ratchet, you're in the wrong place. It's the nation's urban internet station, Sensation Station Network. We're back to the mix. Just like that. So make sure you share us with your friends at Not Dumb Down on Facebook or SSNATL on IG. More music, less glitch at SSNATL.com. And we are back with Financial Renaissance. We're going to talk about my market movers and losers, but I'm not going to give you data. I'm going to tell you some stuff that's actually happening in the world right now. Not talking about what's happening in Washington, but it may be a gift for us in the cannabis market. Um, people are kind of getting over the whole vaping thing because of the impeachment. So as a result, um, we don't want to get mad. Uh, we want to get rich. Okay. So we're going to kind of let some of this stuff go. It's bad. However, out of, uh, I think it's 1,090 or 1,080 patients who have some type of lung diseases, um, because of the vaping. 
they ended up buying black marketed products okay so it's not the the major products and a lot of them also admitted to vaping thc which is unregulated right now but hold on to your hats um again the cannabis market have been getting you know getting spanked uh these past couple of weeks but there is a positive movement forward mitch mcconnell uh last week met with stakeholders in different cannabis um companies and what they're trying to figure out is how to regulate the banking industry because there are a lot of companies that don't directly touch or grow or are dispensaries and they're having trouble with banking but mitch mcconnell visited um like i said uh california and california just passed a secure and fair enforcement act so it's a uh S-A-F-E, Safe Banking Act, aimed at uh, giving credit unions and banks additional clarity around serving cannabis-related companies. So we also know that the majority of Americans are are cool with cannabis, so it's right around the corner. Now, recession watch, and I'm telling you, you need to be afraid. You need to be very afraid. I told you probably months ago that, you know, there's signs and symptoms um, of things happening in our economy that are telling us that we are, hey, smack dab in the middle of recession. Remember, according to our politicians in Washington and everybody else, you know, our economy is supposed to be walking like Buju, walking like a champion right now. Unemployment numbers are low, et cetera, et cetera. I'm calling BS on this, all right? Number one, the Federal Reserve um, quantitative easing, quick recap, um, in the during the Great Recession, interest rates went from 5% down to 0%, and the Federal Reserve Bank infused $4 trillion into our economy by buying Treasury bonds. Now remember, when you buy a stock, you're owning a piece of a company. When you're buying a bond, you're actually lending a company or a municipality, state, etc. money, and they're going to pay you a certain interest rate. Well, our Federal Reserve, instead of selling back all the bonds that they bought to keep us from from going into a depression, um, they were supposed to start selling bonds back, right? And then they said they were going to freeze. They lowered interest rates, and this is a major one. They actually started buying bonds again. They started buying United States Treasuries again. This is a major one. So, hey, go on and buckle up your seat. Put your seat in that upright position. Put your tray tables up. It's about to get Bubba Sparks ugly up in here. All right. Now, um, so what I want you to do is I need you to go on my social media. I need you to go to YouTube. I need you to hit subscribe. I need you to tell everybody you know about Emma Knows Money and Financial Renaissance, the show, okay? I need uh, 100 subscribers, and again, you can just hit that subscribe button, and then you too will be able to see all the previous episodes. You can't handle the truth. It's time for that top five. Don't fall into the banana. Don't fall for the banana in the tailpipe. Twitter has sold us out, or did they? Because you didn't read the fine print in the agreement that when you signed up for Twitter. I know I didn't, or if I did, I don't remember. But Twitter's like super, super sorry. They sold our phone numbers and information to advertisers. Now, here's the rub. Specifically, the company said that the email and phone numbers that we use are using for two-factor authentication somehow ended up in its tailor audiences and partner audiences advertising systems. Oops. Um, in a, in a, it's not really a big deal, but when an advertiser uploads their marketing list, 
um, they are saying that they may have matched people on Twitter uh, to this list. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know what to say about that. I'm just so not happy. And so here's the, the big rub. Uh, Twitter can't say with certainty um, how many people were actually impacted by this, but in an effort to be transparent, they wanted to make sure everyone was well aware of what they did. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? seven-year auto loans. It is an example of the failures in American capitalism. That's right. The middle-class people have to have seven-year auto loans, okay? If you pay your workers a fair wage, they'll only have to have four-year car loans. 20 years ago, there was no such thing as a five, six, or seven-year auto loan, okay? Incomes have risen at such a sluggish pace in the past two, three, four decades, and car prices have, like everything else, continued to go up, that is no longer feasible for people to buy, have cars with four-year loans. So what this means is that your monthly payments will last, continue way out throughout when your brake pads give out. About a third of auto loans for new vehicles are taken out that were taken out in the first half of 2016 had longer than a six-year uh, loan attached to it. A decade ago, that number was less than 10%. And I'm going to tell you, as an adult, one of the first things that let me know that I was a true adult was when I paid off my first car loan. That's right. I couldn't wait to tell everybody when they asked me how much my car payment was. Oh, I don't have a car loan. Uh, my car is paid off. It made, me feel, it made me feel good, you know. So here's what you can do. Bam, in your face. Live below your means until uh, the... the Corporate America and the car companies all get it together. You know, if you don't buy a car, the safest car that you can afford to get your family members into it. Because back in the day when I was growing up, families were able to put five human beings in a Volkswagen bug. Okay? Remember that. So, Facebook. Facebook owns, and this is something that most people don't know. Facebook owns about 2% or excuse me, 2% of Americans know all of what Facebook owns, okay? So they did a study, the Pew Research uh, Center did a study. Uh, they had a bunch of cybersecurity questions and, you know, things like that. Most Americans don't know that the social media giant Facebook actually owns Instagram and WhatsApp. And I have to say, I didn't know either. Um, my wife had to tell me because I was mad at Facebook and said I was deleting it and she had to bring it up that, you know, they actually own Instagram and WhatsApp too. But what a lot of people also don't know, and this goes back into cybersecurity, is that when you go into private browsing modes or incognito, it doesn't hide your activities from hackers it hides your activity from other people in your house okay just something for you to think about you're trying to be uh, incognito but just to the, just to your house not to the bad people. yeah Pacific gas and light Pacific gas and light I was going to clown PG&E um, they instituted um, widespread outages and they did this um, an unprecedented number. I think somewhere between half a million to 800,000 people in Northern California um, were being told that, hey, you're not going to have electricity for a few days because of the weather conditions. Uh, it was very dry, um, and they wanted to make sure that they didn't have a great fire like they had last year. Well, unfortunately, uh, parts of Northern California are burning now. But um, what happened when they announced that they were going to be shutting off <laughs> power for hundreds of thousands of residents, everybody bombarded their website. 
okay? And so it upset a lot of people because the PG&E website crashed. And PG&E is also filing for bankruptcy because of what happened last year. So the reason why people are, are so heated is because PG&E is headquartered in San Francisco. What's right by San Francisco or in the same county? Uh, Silicon Valley. So they should have had some foresight to anticipate the volume of traffic that was going to hit their website that they were going to receive. And then they should have thought about, hey, maybe we should partner with some of these mega tech companies and figure out ways for us to get our messaging out on different platforms and also be available on the various platforms to answer questions for customers who may have questions okay shutting off people's power isn't cool you shut off power we also don't have internet do you feel in charge uh, if you had cryptocurrency you were feeling large and in charge for a minute because the irs wasn't in your pockets but guess what the irs is going to be in your pockets you know once upon a time in a land far far away you thought you were going to be able to handle a currency or an asset you're going to be able to buy and sell and make a profit and not give the government their cut uh, you know what it is trust and believe and when i say i hate it for you i do the irs re released a ruling and a question and answer document that makes it even worse this past wednesday to tell virtual currency investors and their cpas how the agency expects them to report income from their holdings that's right if you made any money with digi currency you are now going to have to report that income to the irs so be warned i told you here first the irs is coming in your digital pockets when we come back on financial renaissance with the m's Emma Knows Money, sponsored by AARP. How a new American industry has been born. Sensation Station Network. Here's the 431st affiliate of Sherlock Will Radio. Sensation Station yeah. Network, an internet radio station in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm going to say it again. Sensation Station Network, an internet radio station based in Atlanta, Georgia. Go ahead, Prime. We are very happy to be part of the Sensation Station Network. And we are so proud to have Cheryl Underwood as a part of Sensation Station Network. That's right, radio not dumbed down. You can hear Cheryl live on, on our station, SSNATL.com on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. And then if you're on the East Coast, you can go to your local CBS affiliate and you can watch her at 2 o'clock uh, on the other coast, Midwest, all that other stuff. You can figure out when to watch her based on your uh, local CBS affiliate. Later on, uh, after my show, we have Smooth Sensational Sunday. And then at 6 o'clock, the live exchange with Dr. Pamela. you got to check out some of the other uh, hosts, some of the other shows that we have. Literally, you want to learn? This is the place to learn. This is the place to challenge yourself. This is the place to join in the conversation. All right. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show, Emma Knows Money, sponsored by AARP Georgia. All right. We are talking about land of the free, home of the brave, but let's focus on land of the free a little bit. Let's talk about 21 things that are worth paying for that you don't have to spend a dollar on. All right. Number one, food, fresh foods, fruits and vegetables for people who are 60 and older and have an income of under 23,000 um, you can get coupons at authorized food stands and farmers markets you can go to fnsusda.gov click on programs at the top of the page then select senior farmers market nutrition program from the drop down menu and that way you can get some 
free fruits and vegetables. Also, for your birthday, you know, you can go into um, Baskin and Robbins. You can also go to Starbucks. There's tons of restaurants also that will, you know, give you a free meal on your birthday. And then for those of you who are seniors, uh, meaning you're over, I think it's 55 or 65, if you want to go out to eat with your grandkids, there are certain uh, restaurants that you can go to and your grandkids eat free. So uh, to find out which restaurants those are, go to uh, Wallet Hacks with an S dot com backslash kids dash eat dash free for a list of all the places and then also um, healthy recipes if you're eating inside the house um, what you can do you want to eat healthy there are free recipes at websites such as eatyourselfskinny.com which has options for gluten-free vegetarian vegan and also dairy-free also uh, allrecipes.com and delish.com um, there's also a delishmeatshealthy.com which I think I'll need to check out because eating healthy sometimes is ugh. All right, so for travel, uh, there are certain national parks that you can go to that have free entry. The last one of those dates is going to be on Veterans Day, which is November uh, 11th. Uh, to plan your visit, go to npsnationalparksservice.gov. Uh, plan your visit free, and then free, free parks, blah, blah, blah. All right. Um, now, for health care, there are going to be cancer screenings that you can do. Um, you can have free cancer screenings. You can find out which providers are doing them locally if you go to cdc.gov backslash cancer, and you'll find out about national programs. This one I really love because we need it in this time and age. Um, the UCLA Medical Center has a UCLA Mindful Awareness Resource Center, and you can get free guided meditations in either English or Spanish. Go ahead and Google them. Also, fitness tips run by the American Council on Exercise. Um, they have have a whole library of, of different exercises you can look at depending on what you're able to do with your body and then dental care we already know dental care is one of those things if you are pov poverty stricken or you are on Medicare um, unfortunately dental care is very very is not covered so you can go to dentallifeline.org and they have um, free dental work for elderly the medically fragile or disabled people who can't afford dental care now for money my other favorite topic. Um, for those of you who've had pensions, had companies and the companies have been bought, blah, 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 there's a pension recovery website. Um, you can go to pensionrights.org and see if any of the employers you used to work for, or your parents work for, if uh, they actually have access to money. If you need free legal services, if you are elder um, or if you are in financial need, if you're an older person, um, you can go to eldercare.acl.gov to get legal free legal aid in your area. And then credit monitoring sites such as WalletHub, uh, Credit Sesame, Credit Karma, <clears throat> excuse me, will let you kind of uh, monitor your credit for free. Um, some of them may try to ask you for a, you know, a trial, blah, blah, blah. But in your spare time, if you are um, a retiree, you can go to school tuition free for a lot of seniors. Go to the the pennyhoarder.com and pinpoint all the schools in your state that will let you go get an education for free. Museums, if you are a Bank of America card holder, if you uh, bank will or do stuff with 
that ML or uh, US trust credit or debit card, um, you can actually go to museums on us for free. So if you go to bankofamerica.com and then you check out museums on us, that'll tell you which museums you can get in free if you have your uh, Bank of America card. Now, most zoos will let you bring your kids or grandkids to the zoo for free on certain days. So just go to any zoo's website and you can figure that out. Now, home care, weatherization, the Department of Energy, um, if you go to their website, um, what is it, uh, benefits.gov backslash benefits 580, uh, there are different things that you can do to weatherize your home and they may actually help pay for it. Same thing with phone and internet. Um, if you go to lifelinesupport.org and you are below the poverty rate, they may actually help you with phone bill and internet. Um, so these are just some of the things that you can get for free from, that is provided by our government. So definitely take advantage of it. Uh, we'll try to drop some of this stuff on the website as well or on our social media. Um, but that, thank you AARP uh, Georgia for sponsoring this because people really do, do want to know what we have free uh, that we can take advantage of. Emma Knows Money is brought to you by AARP's FraudWatch Network. Go to aarp.org or sssatl.com and click the FraudWatch Network banner for more info. And we are back with Financial Renaissance with the M's. I'm your hostess, Emma Folks, certified financial planner, mother, wife, friend, all of that good stuff. And listen, uh, on Emma Knows Money, I was telling you about... Um, uh, things that you can do for free. There's a couple of others that I wanted to get out. Uh, there is a grassroots nonprofit movement uh, providing a forum for giving free stuff in different neighborhoods and cities across the country. If you go to freecycle.org, you can find a group near you. And then also you can go, um, if you want to get free items for your home and garden, you can go on Craigslist and hit free stuff. And then there is a repair cafe. Like if you need to have um, certain things fixed, like small appliances, lamps, etc., cetera, uh, there are people that get together, volunteer people that get together that will um, fix stuff for you. You could just go to repair cafe.org and also fixya.com okay um, that, that's a lot of cool stuff a lot of cool stuff so Emma knows money isn't just about what's happening on Wall Street and in Washington and again like I said in the beginning of the show didn't feel like bringing up Washington and I want you uh, my listeners, not to get caught up emotionally into what's happening. You know, personally, I think that uh, this impeachment stuff is, uh, I'm proud to be alive right now. Um, I was about five when the Nixon stuff started happening. Um, I, when the stuff was happening with Bill Clinton, I really didn't care. I was in college and was raising my son. Uh, but now it's just like I get to see all the things from my U.S. government class and things like that just kind of come into place. So it's just a beautiful time. Um, it's divisive, yes, but it's a beautiful time in our country for us to really see what happens with our democracy. So I'm, I'm really, really happy about that, proud of that, as a matter of fact. Um, now, I do want to explain something. Someone had commented about um, Sensation Station Network and us being radio not dumbed down. Uh, don't I dumb stuff down on my show? Absolutely not. I don't dumb down anything. Uh, what I do is I take financial terms, uh, things that are spoken in a higher level or an in industry speak, and I speak to you like I would speak to my mother or like I would speak to my son or I would speak to anybody in my family when I know that they don't live in this financial world every day and don't understand the jargon and acronyms. So radio not dumbed down just means that we're not, you know, we're not, we're not talking about a lot of ratchet stuff. 
Um, you know, we're not, there's not going to be slang. There's not going to be cursing. We're FCC regulated. Um, cause I think I could, I, I think I'd be able to curse without, you know, messing things up, but that's just how it is. You know, um, what I want you guys to do is if you like the show, you like the content of the show. I know a lot of people are watching me. Um, usually when I run into you at events, et cetera, you tell me what a great job I'm, I'm doing. What I need you to do is go log on to Sensation Station Network and hit the like button so that we know or share it from Sensation Station Network so we can just keep track of our numbers, things like that. We have a lot of great things happening. There's a lot of people looking at what we're doing here at the station. It is a digital station. It is minority-owned. Uh, we're doing this out of a labor of love. All of us, you know, myself, the other co-hosts on the show, we all love what we're doing and we care about our community. Uh, we care about our country as a whole. So please tell other people about us. Now, make sure you tune in and not just listening to me. Okay, we've got great content. We've got great programming on Sensation Station Network. I'm not asking you for money, <laughs> right? It sounds like I'm teeing you up for money. I'm not teeing you up for money, but I am really super happy that Cheryl Underwood uh, just affiliated. Um, uh, she's an affiliate of our, um, or part partner with Sensation Station Network. Um, and again, some of you may have remembered her from back in the day. Um, you know, it's none of that stuff. She's talking about some serious stuff on Sensation Station Network. It's not comedy. Uh, she's talking about things that are happening in our country that will impact you and also impact me. All right. So remember, um, after coming up right after my show is Smooth Sensational uh, Sunday. And then tune in this evening at 6 p.m. for the live exchange with Dr. Pamela. Select the prime. What is my song of the day, sir? It's right now. This is it. Okay. Tune in next week <laughs> the Financial Renaissance with the M's. And as always, each one teach one and have a blessed week. Assets.